in a series called Finding Hope When Life is Miserable. And for the past eight weeks, we have been looking at the life and the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And today we reach the conclusion, the kind of epic finale of Joseph's story. And we are going to see one of the biggest themes throughout this story kind of come into focus in this last chapter of Genesis. I want to start by talking about a sentence that we have all said, either out loud or in our minds or under our breaths, and that is this. I will never forgive you. I will never forgive you. This is something that maybe we say in a moment of anger. Maybe we think it out of a hurtful experience. It arises out of pain. It arises out of bitterness. But they are the most dangerous words that we could ever say or think. But we have all been tempted to say them because no one gets through life without hurt. No one gets through life without pain. No matter what the people's lives around you or on social media appear to be like, no one gets through life without hurt. No one sails through. You have uh, friends that backstab you, your dream school or your dream job that rejects you, a child born with complications, a spouse that walks out, a boss or a colleague who belittles or humiliates you in front of others, and we have every reason from the outside to be angry, bitter, and hurt. So what do we do? What we do with life's seemingly overwhelming amounts of pain, what do we do when life just seems miserable? Those moments and seasons of life where it feels like this is the end. This is how the rest of my story is going to go. You know, if there was ever someone who had a justification to be bitter, it was Joseph. And as we read through Joseph's story, the words misery seem to sum up his experience. Starting with his teenage years, where we kind of pick up his story, uh, his father shows favoritism to him, which again, not his fault, but that's what happens in this dysfunctional but real-life family. Joseph is in a big family. He's one of 12 brothers, lots of sisters, uh, lots of moms with one dad. I told you, it's a dysfunctional family. And so from an early teenage years, Joseph is beaten, stripped, 
and left for dead by his own family, by his brothers, because of their envy and because of their hatred. And that right there in of itself would seem to set you up for a life of bitterness. But that's only just the beginning. You see, Joseph's brothers end up not leaving him for dead. They decide to, hey, cover up everything and make a quick buck. So they sell their own brother to slave traders. And now he is taken away to a foreign country where he is scrubbing the floors of a military official. But he works hard. He's smart, entrepreneurial, and eventually he works his way up to being uh, the chief of staff of the entire estate of this military official. But misery strikes again, and Joseph is wrongfully accused of sexual assault, even though he is righteous and honest, and lands himself in prison. Where, again, he is honest, he works hard, he's enterprising, and through his hard work, he is promoted to the assistant warden of this jail. And he actually helps others, other prisoners to be restored to their previous employment, to figure out their uh, problems. God gives him this incredible gift to interpret dreams. Uh, from an Egyptian culture where dreams were incredibly important and seen as uh, God speaking to people. So God's like, all right, you want, to, you want to hear me speak? I'll speak through you. And he gives Joseph the ability to interpret and understand those dreams that God gives to others. And so you would think that helping others, saving them from imprisonment, would have been a benefit to Joseph, but he, again, is forgotten, left behind, and spends a decade in prison. Every reason to be angry and bitter, but Joseph chose a better way. Even though he was wrongfully accused, forgotten by others, left for dead by his own family, and had 20 years of his life seemingly lost without knowing his family, without growing up and, and knowing his parents or his brothers and sisters, having a life without a homeland or without honor, Joseph chooses forgiveness. And forgiveness is one of the central themes in this story. And we actually learn a lot about what real and true forgiveness is. As we see, forgiveness is not a, a one-time event. It's not just something that you can just easily do. In fact, it is a, a process that actually can take years or a lifetime. And forgiveness may be the hardest decision that you ever make. I, I think that forgiveness was one of the hardest decisions that Joseph ever had to make. And it comes to our lives with the pain that we experience, with the anger and bitterness that so often just defaults us to being trapped in that hurt, forgiveness 
is the most difficult decision to make. And Joseph actually has the opportunity to come face to face with his brothers. And God uses Joseph's position in an incredible way. Because see, while he was in jail, God was working. He actually became acquainted with all of the people in Pharaoh's kind of uh, cabinet, if you will. All the people who had uh, important official positions in the court of Pharaoh. They kind of cycled in and out of prison a lot, <laughs> and they all got to know Joseph, who again, stuck out in their minds because of his uncanny ability, his gift from God, to interpret dreams. So when one day the Pharaoh of Egypt has this crazy dream that none of the other pagan sorcerers can figure out, hey, let's see if Joseph can. And he, God gives Pharaoh this dream, and God gives Joseph the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And here was the dream. It was that there would be seven years of abundance, of harvest, of plenty in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine that would be so severe that it would wipe out any of the gains or the abundance left by the seven years before it. And God puts Joseph in the right place at the right time, using all the connections that he had made in a lifetime to be able to do something incredible. To be promoted from the jail cell to the vice pharaoh of all of Egypt in charge of the entire agricultural powerhouse of the world to put away enough food during the good years to be the only place in the world with food when a severe famine hit. And famine did hit. And all of Egypt turned to the Pharaoh and all of the surrounding peoples, including Joseph's family, came to Egypt for food. So Joseph comes face to face with his brother some 20 years later probably completely unrecognizable to them, but he knows them, and he has the perfect opportunity for revenge. He has the, the power, the authority, and the ability, but he makes a tougher but better decision. And this decision of Joseph to forgive the family who left him for dead is not a one-time decision. In fact, we see multiple times through Joseph's story that this is a forgiveness that is reaffirmed and re-decided, and we see that happen again after a pivotal event in Joseph's family, the passing of his father Jacob, as another opportunity for anger or forgiveness. We're going to read today in Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers 
saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. There is so much that we learn about forgiveness from this passage. And the first thing that we see is this. Forgiveness unites, but bitterness divides. Forgiveness unites, bitterness divides. And we come to a pivotal point in the story where the patriarch of this family, Jacob, has died, he has been laid to rest, and now the brothers are left wondering, is that forgiveness that we had from Joseph, was that only while dad was alive? And you see, they kind of take uh, the coward's way of reconciliation, right? They don't confront Joseph. They don't say uh, their repentance. They send a messenger, and they remind Joseph of what the father, what dad had said. Hey, remember how dad said that you should forgive us? And remember, you know, uh, your father, your father, it's our father. <laughs> They're using these words and phrases to try and almost like pressure uh, Joseph out of their own fear, probably out of their own guilt, into forgiveness. When Joseph had already forgiven them. You see, the brothers are still living out of their guilt and out of their focus on the events of the past. Joseph has moved on. He is living in freedom, but they are still trapped in the past. You know, there are far too many family stories that include the line, everything changed once mom died. Or, we haven't talked since grandpa passed. You know, when there is a, a death in the family that is already a, a painful morning time that has the opportunity to just resurface all of the pain and anger and bitterness of the past. And oftentimes it's, it's the passing of, of a mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandfather that has this opportunity for division, for bitterness, for anger to take root in a family and for bitterness to begin to divide that side of the family versus that side, those who want this or those who want that. 
There are even people in my own family who haven't spoken my entire life because of things that happened before I was born. And the children and grandchildren fell into those family divides caused by bitterness, unforgiveness, hurt, and anger. And Joseph has every right to get revenge. Again, if anyone in history had justification for anger and bitterness, it was Joseph to at least distance himself from this incredibly toxic family. But he chose a better way. He chose a better path. Look at some of the words and phrases from this passage. Two times Joseph says to his brothers, don't be afraid. He is a peacemaker. He has humility. He says, that I, am I in the place of God? He shows humility that it's not even his place to hold anger against them. Joseph is also incredibly honest. He's not passive-aggressive. He's not covering things up. He straight looks him in the eye and says, you intended harm for me. That word harm means to do evil actions. His brothers intended evil against him. And Joseph calls them out, not in a vindictive, retributive way, but just to be honest to say that I have been hurt, you hurt me, and I'm not going to ignore or skate around those issues. But he follows it up with saying that I will provide for you and your children. See, again, this was uh, a seven-year famine, and Joseph had moved all of his family into Egypt so that they would have food for the duration of the famine. But once that famine was done, he continues to take over that fatherly role to provide and to protect. That he uses his position of authority in the Egyptian government not to to rule over his family, but to provide and to protect. And the Bible says that he reassures them and spoke kindly. The brothers didn't deserve Joseph's kindness, but he gives it to them. And this keeps the family together. It keeps them together physically in the land of Egypt and in Midian, and it also keeps them together relationally and emotionally. See, Joseph and his brothers, the sons of Jacob, and Jacob was also known as Israel, became the 12 sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. And every family has, has tribes, has different families within a larger family. And this very easily could have been an opportunity for there to be 11 and 1 tribes of Israel. But Joseph, because of the power of his forgiveness, his grace and mercy, kept the family together because his forgiveness united them. And I don't know if you can name off all of the 12 tribes of Israel. I won't quiz you right now. I don't want you to quiz me. But you may be thinking, 
I don't remember there being a tribe of Joseph. So how, how did that work out? Well, here's how it went. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And both of Joseph's sons became a tribe in Israel. In fact, he had, even though he's one of the youngest, had a double inheritance, a double share in the family legacy. That Joseph's sons got to experience the legacy of his forgiveness. You see, the benefits of our forgiveness extend long past us. And that our decision to make the hard choice to forgive or become trapped in the hurt and bitterness is not just a decision that we make for ourselves. It's a decision that we make for our children and their children and for our friends and their friends, for our offices and all the people that we interact with, that our forgiveness extends long past us. And bitterness, hurt, pain, that's real. It divides families. It divides friendships into us versus them. But forgiveness unites. And forgiveness also sees the bigger picture. Notice how we said that Joseph's brothers were on eggshells, that every time there was hurt or loss, they went right back to, are we going to, is Joseph angry? Is the family intact? Is this forgiveness over? They were focused on the hurt, on the moment, that they had caused someone else. And bitterness can keep us focused on the hurt. We can replay those words or that conversation in our minds, in our hearts, years or decades later. We can just relive that anger, relive that hurt, pain over and over again. That our lives can, can feel like there was one moment that put this glass case around us and that we have been sealed into that moment for years, for lifetimes. Forgiveness sets you free. Forgiveness raises your eyes to see the bigger picture. Now, forgiveness is not Christian pixie dust. He doesn't sprinkle it on your life and all of your problems go away. All your hurt is healed. All of your relationships and their drama are solved. But it brings you freedom. And that starts with seeing the bigger picture. And although Joseph's brothers are still focused on the events of the past, Joseph, as a God-sized view of his life and his family. I want to zoom in on two verses in Genesis chapter 50. The first one is verse 18. After Joseph had reaffirmed his love and forgiveness of his brothers, it says this, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. 
wasn't there, I don't know, a dream that Joseph had where his brothers kind of came and bowed down before him? Well, look where we are now. <laughs> his brothers fulfilling the prophetic dream of God were falling down before him. But notice, this is not in some sort of, of power or reverence or worship. This is in family repentance and reconciliation. What a difference. That the very dream that kind of work started the plague and virus of bitterness in the hearts of Joseph's brothers in order to kill and sell him off, that that dream was prophesying their reconciliation and their forgiveness. See, sometimes it takes years or a lifetime to see the bigger picture. Sometimes we only see a glimpse of it in our own lifetimes. But by God's grace, Joseph got to see the bigger picture, a, a taste of the bigger picture of, of what God was working good for in his story. Joseph says this in verse 20. He says, You intended to harm me, to do evil against me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. God gives Joseph the incredible insight that his hurt, his pain, the evil done against him was not God's plan, was not God's desire, but the God of redemption was working in that evil to bring out something good. I can only imagine that the decades that Joseph spent either in prison or in servitude of a foreign politician he wanted nothing more than just to go home, to hug his dad, to talk to his mom, to see his brothers and sisters, to let them know the hurt they had done to him. But had Joseph left, not only would he have died in the worst famine in his lifetime, but so would his family. And so would have two to three million Egyptians along with him. See, even though it was not God's plan for Joseph to experience all of that hurt, the God of redemption worked in that evil to bring about something incredible. To put Joseph at the right place at the right time for the saving of many lives. See, oftentimes we play the if only game. If only I could get that job, if only I could get that house, if only my family or friendships looked this certain way. And maybe if I work hard enough or pray hard enough that I can get to that destination, get to that preferred destiny. But Joseph had no clue how God would work in his life. And in fact, 
I bet if God had given Joseph what he wanted, he and his family would die of starvation out in the Canaanite desert. Because God can take you to places and open doors that you never dreamed possible. And the God of redemption can work through your life and even through your deepest pain and hurt and bitterness to bring about something that is a blessing not only to you, but through others as well. And this theme of God working through evil is not just something that we see in the book of Genesis. We see it throughout the entire Old Testament and the entire scriptures. A, a beautiful passage that illustrates this as well as Genesis 50:20 is Romans 8:28, which says this. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And if you want a really detailed explanation of what the Greek means in all things, all things. God can work, and we know that God works in all things, that God works in cancer, that God works in divorce, that God works in your firing. He works in your rejection. He works in your miscarriage, in your failure, in your bankruptcy, in your conviction, and in your loss. And that's not God's desire for you, but it is how the God of grace and redemption and hope works. And he can bring goodness. He can bring righteousness. He can bring hope out of the most miserable circumstances. Because our God is a God who redeems. Takes what, what seems to be like a, a broken mess into something beautiful. And you know, we are in a unique point in history of the world where we have a front row seat to evil, to hurt, to destruction. In the years of 2020, 2021, it's easy to look at world events and think, what is happening? Like, why is this happening? Where is God in the midst of an evil world? Why would God allow this? And there are, are no simple, easy answers to those questions, but there is a hope of a faithful God who is working in and despite our sinful world to a sinful people to accomplish something truly good and redemptive. And as long as we are in a world filled with sinful people, there will be sin that affects all of us. And God does not call sin good, but he will use these sinful actions for good because our God is a redeeming God. And that when we get a vantage point like Joseph did to see in a small window how God is working through evil people to bring about redemption, that is a blessing and a gift from God. We don't always get that vantage point that Joseph did. Sometimes we, we only see fractions of it or not at all, but know that God worked 
through the evil actions of Joseph's brothers to bring about good in the saving of many lives, that God is working through all the evil happening in our world today to bring about good as well. And that doesn't decrease the pain, and that doesn't make all the evil right, but it means that we have a God of redemption, and that is something to find hope in, no matter how miserable life gets. One thing we also learn through the story of Joseph is that forgiveness creates a different ending, a different ending to the story. And as we look at Joseph's story, we can see there are so many places that Joseph's story had the possibility to end, but then it doesn't. Starting at the very beginning where Joseph's brothers toss him into the bottom of a dried up well to die. Easily could have been the end of Joseph's story. Boom, moving on. He could have easily died in a foreign jail, forgotten in a land. He could have died in a catastrophic famine. But again and again, God works through his life. And he uses forgiveness and Joseph's obedience combined to create a different ending to Joseph's story. You know, the whole book of Genesis and Joseph's story is a conclusion of this book of Genesis. Genesis means beginnings. It's the beginning of how God brought the world and all its people into existence, and it's the story of the beginning of God to work his redemptive plan in our world. And the book of Genesis focuses on the person of Abraham and his family, his descendants, who would go on to become a tribe, who would become the nation of Israel out of whom God would bring a savior for the entire world. And God makes a covenant, a promise with Abraham and some pretty bold claims. He comes to a pagan 90-year-old barren couple and says that through them, that God was not only going to give them more descendants, than they could ever count, was going to give them a, a land, a physical inheritance, that he was going to bring salvation through them, that through them, God was going to bless all the people of the world through Abraham. And if you read Genesis, you're reading a story that does not seem to be a blessing to the world. You read about Abraham and his sons, and their sons, and give the story of, of Jacob. And it's nothing but, but deceit, and treachery, uh, and, and horrendous evil. And you think, how in the world is this family supposed to be a blessing to the world? They're not even a blessing to themselves. But then, Joseph whose story is filled with hurt and bitterness and deceit and dysfunction, 
that God uses him, his faithfulness, his obedience, and his forgiveness, and puts him in a position to save millions of lives from famine. And the story of Joseph is the first sign that God is faithful to his promises, that God is keeping this covenant promise that he is making, and that as we see, Abraham's family is a blessing to the world. But Joseph is only a foreshadowing. Joseph is only a small picture of what God is doing and the redemptive and grace that is to come. See, Joseph and his life in many ways is a, is a foreshadowing thousands of years beforehand of, of Jesus himself. Because while Joseph was a human savior who provided physical salvation for a localized group of people, Jesus Christ is the Messiah who provides eternal salvation for all people. And in Jesus, all of the promises of God are made yes and amen. And in Jesus, all of the goodness and redemption of God is made most evident to us. And in Jesus, the power of forgiveness is on greatest display. And through this story of Joseph, oftentimes we have put ourselves in Joseph's shoes and kind of seen the story through his character. But, you know, I want you to think for a second about putting yourself in the shoes of the brothers. Because I think if we all tried out for the Joseph play, we'd be cast as the brothers. And the Bible says this in Acts chapter 3. It says this, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you, that's me, that's you, whom you handed over and disowned in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Here is possibly the most important thing that you could come to know and remember about forgiveness today. That forgiveness is not something that we just concentrate on and focus on and are able to kind of will up out of ourselves. Forgiveness is always a gift. It is an undeserved gift. And like many gifts, it is something that you can only give once you have received it. You see, forgiven people forgive. And our ability to practice forgiveness starts with receiving the gift of forgiveness that comes from God through Jesus Christ. And it is almost impossible to hand out forgiveness if we have not received it first. It is almost impossible to let go of bitterness, to forgive our hurts and our pain and our anger without the forgiveness, love, and mercy of God. 
without being united first to him, without being brought into the family of God, there's no hope for forgiveness in our own families. That without experiencing the bigger picture of our lives and God's story, we can't see past the blocks of our own hurt. And without experiencing the resurrection of Jesus, it's possible to see a different ending to our story. But that is the power of our redemptive God. To give hope when things seem miserable, to give forgiveness when we are filled with pain and hurt. And like with Joseph, this is not a one-time event. That Joseph over and over again reaffirms his forgiveness to his brothers and their families and to their children and beyond. And in the same way that relationship with Jesus isn't just something that happens at the decision of faith and then is over, as it continues on, so is the path of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is often wrapped up in really messy, complicated, hurtful situations. So I want to give you five signs that you might need to seriously think through forgiveness in your life today. You might need to forgive if you constantly replay that memory in your mind over and over again. That you are holding on to hope of vindication or victory. That your side of the story will finally be told. That people will finally know all the hurt that you have been through. That you want to see them hurt like you were hurt. You want to see them beg for forgiveness. That you simply can't move on, even though they probably have. Or you justify your actions because of your hurt. Friends, that is not what freedom looks like. When it comes to freedom in our lives, forgiveness forges freedom. And that word forged makes me think of a blacksmith, something that is done through effort, through sweat, through work. Forgiveness is not easy work, but by the power of God, we are able to extend forgiveness and receive freedom in our lives and have freedom flow from us as a gift to others to change the destiny of our children and our children's children. Because freedom looks like this, that you've allowed God to write a new ending to your story, that you've let go of the desire to win, that you truly desire the best for the other person, that your actions in the present aren't controlled 
by your hurt in the past. The, the story of Joseph is the story of God's goodness and grace and hope working in the midst of human evil. And that invitation of God's mercy and grace is one that, that we are extended today. Even in the midst of a broken world, even in the midst of intense personal pain, that God offers us hope and forgiveness and the freedom that comes with it. When we first receive a relationship with him that reconciles us, unites us to God, and that we are able to then forgive and love others. And of Jesus Christ on the cross, bearing all the weight of our deceit, our evil, our hypocrisy and betrayal, if he could say, Father, forgive them, then by the power and grace of God, we have that same ability as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for being a God of redemption, a God of forgiveness. Lord, would we first receive your love, your grace, your forgiveness, and then be forgiven people who forgive others. May we experience the blessing and the freedom that comes from your forgiveness. And may we start a better story, a better legacy, not just for our lives, but for our children, our children's children, and for our world. That you would work in us and through us in ways that we would never even guess because of your goodness. Thank you, God. We worship you. We love you. Amen.